The Good Shepherd is a portrait of our Lord Jesus Christ. The Bible repeatedly images for us. A very well-known passages in Scripture describes Jesus consistently as the shepherd of God's sheep. Uh, even this afternoon, as we sung and prayed, we prayed to the Good Shepherd. Psalm 23 says of him, the Lord is my shepherd. Psalm 103 says of him, we are his people, the sheep of his pasture. Isaiah 40, 11 says, he tends his flock like a shepherd. He gathers the lamb in his arm and carries them close to his heart. Mark 6, 34 says, when he went ashore, he saw a large crowd and had compassion on them because they were like sheep without a shepherd. Hebrews 13, 20 describes him this way, our Lord Jesus, the great shepherd of the sheep. And 1 Peter 5, 4 says of him, and when the chief shepherd appears, you will receive the unfading crown of glory. In view of these wide uses of the shepherd theme and imagery of Christ throughout the Bible, one would assume that the shepherd parable in our passage would be easy to interpret. However, it is actually not the case. When you carefully observe our passage, one may ask, who is the shepherd in our passage referring to? Since it's not until verses 11 and 14, Jesus explicitly says, I am the good shepherd, which is the topic of our sermon in two Sundays. Moreover, who is the gatekeeper that our passage refers to? Who are the thieves and robbers? Most importantly relevant to our specific passage, what does it mean Jesus is the door of the sheepfold? After all, we sang about the good shepherd, not about the good door, right? So what does it mean when Jesus says, I am the door? And how can Jesus be both the door and the shepherd at the same time? These are a few of the questions that this passage brings. Well, the answer to all these questions are provided for us in the context. So again, what does Jesus mean? He is the door of the sheep. And what does it teach us? We're continuing our study through the Gospel of John. And this fall, we are focusing on the seven I am sayings of Jesus and its relevant passages. And what we see through our study is that whereas Jesus' signs, his miraculous works, drew the crowds of thousands and showed himself, at least make many seriously wonder if he is indeed the promised and prophesied Messiah, Jesus' sayings, on the other hand, his teachings, oftentimes had the opposite effect. First of all, it infuriated the Pharisees, the Jewish leaders, and the teachers of the law to the point they wanted to kill him. Furthermore, Jesus' teachings also divided the true disciples from false disciples, those who were truly of God and those who were not. That's what we saw at the end of chapter 7 and the passage we studied last Sunday, John chapter 8, verses 31 through 40. Again and again, Jesus was reaffirming the truth of John 6, verse 44. No one can come to me unless the Father who sent me draws him, and I will raise him up on the last day. In other words, God's true disciples will be drawn to God through Jesus, and Jesus will persevere them to the end. You see, Jesus' hard sayings were difficult for people to receive because the truth of the matter was, unless God himself granted faith to his hearers, no one would be able to understand or grasp Jesus' sayings. 
In our passage this afternoon, Jesus re-emphasizes this idea as he responds to the Pharisees who are again so arrogantly, so uh, hypocritically and in self-condemning ways reacting to Jesus basically in every, almost every ungodly way possible, exposing who they truly were. You see in chapter 9, which is the story our passage this afternoon directly follows and responds to, a man born blind from birth is healed by Jesus. The miracle occurs right before their eyes. The man himself testifies and praises Jesus. In chapter 9, verse 30, the man interrogated by the Pharisees on the details of his healing answers, why this is an amazing thing. You do not know where he comes from, yet he opened my eyes. But instead of rejoicing with him and being amazed like everyone else, the Pharisees, the teachers of the law, the supposed shepherds of Israel, what do they do? They mock And they belittle the man. In verse 34, they say, you are born in utter sin, and you would teach us? And it says they cast him out. They continue to deny and dismiss Jesus' legitimacy as the Christ, the Son of God, and they did not believe in him. And so in our passage, in the third I am saying, I am the door, although not one of Jesus' most well-known sayings, Although seemingly somewhat less significant given the brevity of the attention given, Jesus nevertheless teaches an important lesson about who he is and what he came to do through it. Our passage is Jesus' sharp but true words of rebuke aimed at the Pharisees who Jesus indicted were false shepherds and false teachers of God's word. And in doing so, through Jesus' third I am saying, I am the door of the sheep, Jesus teaches us what a true shepherd is. Hence, this afternoon from John chapter 10, verses 1 through 10, I want to share with you three marks of Jesus' true shepherds. Three marks of Jesus' true shepherds. Here's the outline so you can follow. Point number one, true shepherds know the way, verses 1 through 2. True shepherds know the way, verses 1 through 2. Point number two, true shepherds speak the truth, verses 3 to 6. And can you guess point number three? True shepherds leads the sheep to life. Verses seven through 10. True shepherds know the way. True shepherds speak the truth. True shepherds lead the sheep to life. I pray that through this message, you would be reminded of the good gift of true shepherds the Lord has given to us to lead, teach, protect, and provide for our souls. And I pray that it would encourage us knowing that although we grow under less than perfect Shepherds, such as myself, that Jesus is our ultimate shepherd who laid down his life for us, that he will lead us to live the abundant life. And I pray that if there's anyone here who does not know Jesus, this great good shepherd, that they may enter in today and experience life more abundant than they have ever known. So without further ado, look with me to John chapter 10, verses 1 through 10, and follow along with me as I read and preach. And please keep your Bibles open for the entire duration of the message so you know that it's God's Word and not man's Word. If you're new to the Bible, the Gospel of John is the fourth book of the New Testament. Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John, the big numbers are the chapter numbers. The small numbers are the verse numbers. So John chapter 10, verses 1 through 10, it says this. Truly, truly, I say to you, he who does not enter the sheepfold by the door but climbs in by another way That man is a thief and a robber, but he who enters by the door is the shepherd of the sheep. To him, the gatekeeper opens. The sheep hear his voice, and he calls his own sheep by name and leads them out. 
When he has brought out all his own, he goes before them, and the sheep follow him, for they know his voice. A stranger they will not follow, but they will flee from him, for they do not know the voice of the stranger. This figure of speech Jesus used with them, but they did not understand what he was saying to them. So Jesus again said to them, Truly, truly, I say to you, I am the door of the sheep. All who came before me are thieves and robbers, but the sheep did not listen to them. I am the door. If anyone enters by me, he will be saved and will go in and out and find pasture. The thief comes only to steal and kill and destroy. I came that they may have life and have it abundantly. Who are the true shepherds of Jesus? Point number one, true shepherds know the way. True shepherds know the way. Look again with me, verses one through two. It says this. Truly, truly, I say to you, he who does not enter the sheepfold by the door, but climbs by another way, that man is a thief and a robber. But he who enters by the door is the shepherd of the sheep. The phrase, truly, truly, or in other translations, verily, verily, or amen, amen, means to indicate whatever Jesus says in following are very, very important words. This is one of the 24 times in John's gospel this phrase is used, so I encourage you to listen up carefully. What important truth did Jesus want his hearers to understand? Jesus was emphasizing true shepherds enter by the door, or in other translations, true shepherds enter by the gate, and false shepherds enter by another way. Jesus was teaching there is only one way to be a legitimate shepherd of God, to be a credible pastor of God's sheep, entrance through the gate. You see, in the first century, the illustration of the shepherd and the sheep was a familiar one. At sundown, the sheep were led into a sheep pen, a large enclosure made out of large rocks piled on top of each other, usually at a height of about three feet, right? So if you could just imagine a large enclosure with piled rock walls, the shepherds would lead their sheep into this enclosure to protect the sheep from predators and thieves during the night. And many of the sheep pens were large enough to house more than one flock. So various shepherds would lead their sheep into this enclosure at night for security. And there was only one gate into the pen, one, one doorway. And a watchman or the gatekeeper who was a hired hand only allowed certain shepherds and certain sheep to enter that gate. If anyone tried to come into the pen at night by climbing over the wall... It was clear to all that he was a thief and a robber and not a legitimate shepherd. For what reason would a true shepherd have the need to not enter through the gate? Moreover, in smaller sheep pens, the shepherd himself would at times even lie down at the entrance uh, of the sheep pen, serving as a human gate in order to protect the sheep from all intruders. Nothing would pass him to the sheep save through the shepherd. This was the posture of a true shepherd toward his sheep. So when Jesus says in verse one and two that he who enters by another way, that man is a thief and a robber, he was referring specifically to the Jewish leaders or all false shepherds and teachers of God's sheep, God's people who never entered God's sheepfold by way of credibility, by way of legitimacy through the proper door. Jesus was saying that the Pharisees were the shepherds who weren't protecting and providing for the sheep. 
They were thieves and robbers who harmed the sheep and used them for their own gain. They were the wicked shepherds of Ezekiel 34, which Crystal read for us, who were feeding themselves. They were the incompetent shepherds who did not strengthen the weak, not bind up the injured, not bring back the strayed, not sought uh, the lost, and have ruled with force and harshness. Jesus says of them, this is who you are, thieves and robbers. Because Jesus says in verse 2, on the contrary, he who enters by the door is the shepherd of the sheep. Jesus was saying, my true shepherds enter through the proper way, the right way, the only way to the sheep pen. In order to pastor the sheep, they enter through the door, they enter through the gate. Brothers and sisters, as Jacob Holly mentioned a few weeks ago when he was preaching about the truly sobering podcast that many have been listening to, The Rise and Fall of Mars Hill, which highlights the rise and fall of a pastor who gained international notoriety and celebrity. As the pastor of one of the biggest churches in America not too long ago, we ought to be reminded that Scripture teaches in various occasions that false teachers will be present and plenty in our churches. Here are a few verses, and there are so many. Matthew 7, verse 15 through 20, it says, Watch out for false prophets. They come to you in sheep's clothing, but inwardly they are ferocious wolves. Matthew 24, 24, For false messiahs and false prophets will appear and perform great signs and wonders to deceive, if possible, even the elect. Acts 20, verses 28 through 30, Keep watch over yourselves and all the flock of which the Holy Spirit has made you overseers. Be shepherds of the church of God, which he bought with his own blood. I know that after I leave, savage wolves will come in among you and will not spare the flock. Even from your own number, men will arise and distort the truth in order to draw away disciples after them. And 2 Timothy 4, 3 through 4, for the time will come when the people will not put up with sound doctrine. Instead, to suit their own desires, they will gather around them a great number of teachers to say what their itching ears want to hear. They will turn their ears away from the truth and turn aside to myths. Brothers and sisters, we ought to be cautious that just because some pastor is well-known or some pastor is extremely gifted, it doesn't necessarily mean that they are legitimate. So be warned, be wise, be discerning. Third, we ought to understand this is the reason why Scripture says regarding pastors and overseers, according to James 3.1, not many of you should be teachers. In 1 Timothy 5.22, do not be hasty in the laying on of hands so that he may not fall into disgrace, into a snare of the devil, according to 1 Timothy 3, 7. This is the reason why, although as clearly biblical and extremely, extremely important and practically helpful it is to have a plurality of pastors for a healthy local church, we ought to be very careful in who we affirm as pastors and elders, who we are to submit to, who are supposed to keep watch over our souls as men, will give an account to God himself, according to Hebrews 13, 17. A few days ago, one of my friends in pastoral ministry, P.J. Tobayan, wrote an excellent article on Desiring God titled, On Raising Men for Ministry. And he explains how he and his current church prayed for and waited and took five really long years before they installed their second pastor. Another friend in ministry who is pastoring locally shared with me recently how one of their elders became the biggest opposition for his pastoral ministry at their church. In my friend pastor's own words, this elder opposed almost everything he did. And that elder, that supposed brother, knowingly or perhaps unknowingly was used by the devil 
as an instrument of division and deep discouragement. He ended up leaving the church, but caused a wreckage while he remained. And I share with you those real examples as a reminder that we ought to be careful in whom we affirm as elders, who we encourage to aspire to the office of elders. What a sobering reminder for me as one of two pastors of this church to keep a close watch over my life and doctrine as according to 1 Timothy 4.16 in order that I won't disqualify myself from the ministry. This is why I ask you to pray for Jeremy and I that by God's grace, we will humbly, faithfully endure to the end. Amen? Here's a word of caution and also encouragement for anyone at NCBC who aspires to the office of the pastor, elder, and shepherd. And I know we have a number of them, so praise God for that. Don't rush the process. If you shortcut the process, you will become a thief and a robber. You will rob God of his glory and you will harm the sheep. Let the Lord take you through his course. Let your life and doctrine, spiritual maturity and ministry be the clear and natural and obvious indicator as to determine the right time. You ought to be recognized as a true shepherd of Christ. This is one of the reasons why I think it's so dangerous for so many of our churches to equate seminary training or seminary attendance with spiritual maturity or qualification for a pastor because the two are not equal. Going to seminary does not make someone a pastor. Unlike going to dental school makes you a dentist. Pastoral ministry is more than ministry skill set or knowledge. It's a calling internal and external, qualified, tested, and affirmed. This is the reason why when I look back and reflect on how I myself was rushed into ministry, thrown into pastoring, started preaching when I was 22 years old, and after 10 years of nonstop ministry, I thank God for the six years that I had at CHPC just to be a regular member and as a lay elder to allow the Lord to work in me and to prepare me to pastor New Covenant Baptist Church. This way is biblical. This was true of Abraham, true of Moses, true of David, true of Paul. Their ministries took years in the making. It took years to enter the sheep pen through years of testing. That's why 1 Timothy 3.1 says, if anyone aspires to the office of an overseer, he desires a noble task so that such aspirations aren't easily snuffed out. I know those were hard, long years of waiting for an opportunity to pastor. It was extremely hard, but I believe it was for my good. Those years were the years that forged my faith and increased my maturity and broadened my capacity to trust in God's promises. I know for sure I haven't arrived. I still have long ways to go with your prayers and encouragement, but here's the fact. True shepherds know the way, that there is only one way. They come through the way, the Jesus way. That's point number one. Point number two, true shepherds speak the truth, verses three through six. Look with me to verses three through six. It says this, to him the gatekeeper opens, the sheep hear his voice, and he calls his own sheep by name and leads them out. When he has brought out all his own, he goes before them, and the sheep follow him. For they know his voice. A stranger they will not follow, but they will flee from him, for they do not know the voice of strangers. This figure of speech Jesus used with them, but they did not understand what he was saying to them. Again, the legitimacy of a shepherd is affirmed, first, by the fact that they enter through the door, and further, it's confirmed by the gatekeeper. Now, there are many interpretations, some good, some bad, 
of who or what the gatekeeper is. Can you guess? Okay, well, let me just tell you. In my best exegetical opinion, the gatekeeper is most likely the Holy Spirit. Now, remember, before you analyze this uh, too much, Jesus says in verse 6, this is a figure of speech. Okay, it was an illustration, an obvious one for the Jews of the first century as a means for the Pharisees to understand their true state. But the argument that the gatekeeper is the Holy Spirit makes sense, doesn't it? Scripture says in John 16, 13, when the spirit of truth comes, he will guide you into all truth. So if Jesus is the door, the gatekeeper is the Holy Spirit, the Holy Spirit guides us into truth. Let me explain through uh, the verses. Verse 3 says, to him, to the one who enters through the gate of the sheep pen, the gatekeeper opens. The gatekeeper, the Holy Spirit, is the first line of defense against false shepherds and teachers. And as I shared earlier, in some sheep pens, several flocks of sheep would be kept overnight for their protection and for the shepherds to rest for the night. And when the morning came and it was time for the shepherds to collect their sheep flock, what validated the shepherd was four things according to these verses. First, the shepherd speaks truth. Second, a shepherd knows his sheep. Third, the shepherd led. And fourth, the sheep followed. So let me try to just run that through. Verse 3 teaches us true shepherds speak the truth. The sheep hear his voice, and he calls his own sheep by name, and he leads them out. Simply, the sheep discerns the veracity of the shepherd's voice. Now, I don't want to stretch this illustration or figure of speech too far, but this is the reason why in our local Baptist church, the final authority of the church is in the congregation. You get to determine whether what the pastor is preaching is the gospel or the truth. And whenever my preaching or any pastors who stand on this pulpit no longer preaches the faithful and true gospel, you, as the members of this church, have the power to fire them or fire me. The sheep must learn to discern the voice of the shepherd, whether the shepherd's voice is indeed the truth or not. Does that make sense? It's a bit of a reach, but you get the point. Amen? Not only that, the true shepherd knows the sheep by name. The shepherd calls on his sheep one by one by name. John, Jacob, Michelle, Tamar, Julia, Nick, Nate, Michael, come on. The sheep hear their shepherd's voice and follow him. The shepherd and the sheep have a trusting and intimate relationship. The sheep hear his voice and they follow him. Also, don't miss the point, the important point at the end of verse 3. Unlike sheep herding in the modern day where sheep are herded by sheepdogs and the shepherds ride distantly away from the sheep on a horse or from behind, in those days, the sheep were led by their shepherds. The shepherds leads and the sheep follow. What a humbling and sobering privilege and task we as shepherds of God's flock have that we ought to lead God's sheep, lead God's church with our life and our doctrine, in our study of the scriptures, in our prayer lives, in our discipleship, in our evangelism, and in many other ways. And I pray that even with all of my flaws that you know of very well, that I'm doing somewhat of an okay job for NCBC, that I'm leading you in the right direction even as I myself follow Jesus, the chief shepherd. And if I am, I pray that you are following well. Don't get distracted. Let me lead you and point you to Christ's way. Amen? For the most part, let me just say, you all have been a joy to lead. 
I love and experience the Apostle John's uh, joy when he expresses it in 3 John 1-4. I have no greater joy than to hear that my people are walking in the truth. And that's certainly been largely true uh, this year and four months of pastoring NCBC. So let us keep it going. Amen? Thank you always for the way that you have been so encouraging and prayerful in your following. Thank you for the way that you've encouraged Jerry and I and blessed us with your thoughtful notes and gift earlier this month for Pastor Appreciation Month. Pray that I'll lead better. Pray that you'll follow better for God's glory and for the advancement of the gospel and for the building of this church. Amen? And let's pray together, brothers and sisters, for more qualified shepherds. Who else is leading well among us? Pray that there will be more godly, leading, praying, present, preaching, discipling, evangelizing shepherds among us. Let me say that again. Pray that there would be more godly, leading, praying, present, preaching, discipling, evangelizing shepherds among us. And that it would be very, very apparent to all of us who that is. Because consider the other side, verse 5. A stranger they will not follow, but they will flee from him, for they do not know the voice of strangers. So common sense, right? Why would the sheep follow a stranger? Why would the sheep follow a person who is not present, who is not leading? They will flee from him, for they do not know, for the sheep do not know the voice of strangers. In other words, you can't force the shepherd-sheep relationship. It takes time and effort and work to cultivate and develop a trusting relationship. It can't be rushed. Like trying to hold a baby who has stranger danger, stranger anxiety, false shepherds will be snuffed out in an instant. And then to emphasize the obvious point that those Pharisees were not the true shepherds nor the true sheep, verse 6, this figure of speech Jesus used with them, but they did not understand what he was saying to them. Ever encounter anyone who you could just not get through? You explain, you exemplify, you teach and show and lead, yet they just don't get it. They just don't get it. You call and you call, sheep, sheep, where are you, sheep? And they don't respond. They don't follow. What does it mean? It probably means they are not your sheep. You are not their shepherd. They don't hear the true voice. They don't know your voice because they are not yours. True shepherds speak truth to the sheep. True shepherds know the sheep. True shepherds lead the sheep. True shepherds are followed by the sheep. Third and finally, what are the marks of a true shepherd? Third and finally, true shepherds lead the sheep to life. True shepherds lead the sheep to life, verses 7 through 10. Look at verses 7 through 9 real quick. So seeing that the Pharisees were so deaf and so unable to understand what was so plain, it says in verse 7 through 9, So Jesus again said to them, Truly, truly, I say to you, I am the door of the sheep. All who came before me are thieves and robbers, but the sheep did not listen to them. I am the door. If anyone enters by me, he will be saved and will go in and out and find pasture. Jesus says it more explicitly, I am the door of the sheep in verse 7, and repeats it again in verse 9, I am the door. Jesus was saying, if you don't enter through me, you are not a true shepherd. If you don't enter through me, you are a thief and a robber. If you don't enter through me, those people are not your sheep. If you don't enter through me, you are a wicked shepherd, a false teacher. You are a wolf. That's what he meant. All who came before me, Jesus was specifically addressing teachers and leaders who claimed their office illegitimately. They are false teachers. On this day, while the secular society celebrates an overly commercialized pagan holiday, Halloween, 
with costumes and candy, which is actually derived from All Saints Day or All Hallows Day, a day to celebrate the saints of church history. We Protestant Christians today commemorate a far important day, Reformation Day, which oddly enough was the breaking away of the Protestant church from the Roman Catholic Church, who legitimized unbiblical authority of the papacy, the popes and the priests of the Catholic Church outside what was warranted in Scripture. These Roman Catholic popes still to this day are to have equal authority to the Scriptures, uh, that they are infallible, incapable of error when they teach doctrine on faith or morals to the universal church. Their words are considered just as divine and inspired as the Bible itself. Can you imagine that? Their authority far exceeds what the Scriptures confine for shepherds. Members of the Catholic Church are commanded to take weekly communion from them, wherein special grace is dispensed from it through the priests. Their members are expected to come to the priest in regular confession as mediators when the scripture is clear that Jesus is the only way. These were and still are few of the heretical, extra-biblical practices that the Catholics teach and practice today. So that's why when Martin Luther in 1517, convicted by the scriptures, nailed the 95 theses, which were biblical statements meant to correct the false teachings of the Roman Catholic Church on this day, some 500 plus years ago, nailed it on the door of the castle church in Wittenberg, Germany. It served as a powder keg, which sparked the flames of the Protestant Reformation, which overturned centuries of perversion and corruption in the Catholic Church, that it is by sola scriptura, Solus Christus, sola fide, sola gratia, soli deo gloria, by scripture alone, by Christ alone, by faith alone, by grace alone, for God's glory alone that we are saved. Hallelujah. Brothers and sisters, Jesus says in verse 9, I am the door. If anyone enters by me, he will be saved. Jesus was saying he is the fulfillment of Psalm 118 verse 20 when it was written of him, this is the gate of the Lord and the righteous shall enter through it. And why the psalmist praised in verse 21 of that psalm, I thank you that you have answered me and have come for my salvation. The prayer is answered, brothers and sisters, in Jesus here in John chapter 10, verse seven through nine. The psalmist continues in Psalm 118, verse 22, the stone that the builders rejected has become the cornerstone. This is the Lord's doing. It is marvelous in our eyes. This is the day that the Lord has made. Let us rejoice and be glad in it. Amen? This is why it's written of the last day in Revelation twenty-two fourteen. Blessed are those who wash their robes so that they may have the right to the tree of life and that they may enter the city, the golden city, by the gates. Brothers and sisters, Jesus says, I am the gate through whom all are mine will enter in. Amen? This is the good news of Jesus Christ. It is the central message of the Bible. It is the amazing news of Christianity. The gospel is the reality that God's approval of us is based on God's clothing us with his righteousness, the righteousness of Christ. Despite our repeated rebellion and deliberate distrust and disobedience against him, the gospel is the good news that in Christ, he gave us his entire righteousness to us as he himself took upon our sins completely, the sins of the past, sins of the present, sins of the future. Through his substitute life and through his substitute death on the cross, his righteousness became ours by faith. And our unrighteousness, he took upon it himself. For our sake, he became sin who knew no sin, 
so that in him we might become the righteousness of God. But the good news gets better and better and better. He did not only take away our sins and our punishment through his death, through his resurrection on the third day, he defeated sin, Satan, and death once and for all. And all who would repent of their sins and believe in him and trust in his name, hallelujah, will have new life now and eternal life forevermore with him. So this afternoon, if you are here and you are not a Christian or are not sure that you are, first of all, we're so glad that you're here. But if you have been wandering like lost sheep, lost and afraid and anxious and fearful, hear the words of your true shepherd this afternoon. Listen to the voice of the false shepherds of the world no more who only intend to kill, steal, and destroy you. Hear the voice who calls you by name, who knows you intimately, who has led you here to this place, to this moment. Shelter yourself in Jesus' care. Run to him for safety right now. Psalm 9.9 says, The Lord is a refuge for the oppressed, a refuge in times of trouble. Scripture says in Isaiah 53, 6, we all like sheep have gone astray. Each of us has turned to our own way. Dear friend, if you're not a Christian and you are here, the Lord has led you here. The Lord is calling on you. So stop wandering no longer. Stop straying no further. Come to Jesus and find refuge. Come to Jesus and find shelter. Come to Jesus and find true life today. Repent of your sins, which means turn from finding your own way. Believe in the good news of Jesus and trust in him with your whole life starting today and never turn back. If you want to know more about how to follow this Jesus, talk to me at the close of service at that door. Talk to Jacob at that door. Talk to Jeremy at the outside door. Don't waste another day without knowing the reason why we have gathered today and every Sunday since Jesus rose up from the grave to worship our good shepherd. Dear brothers and sisters in Christ, how are you doing? Members of NCBC, how are you doing? Hearing, resting, following Jesus, our ultimate shepherd. How are you doing entering in and out through Jesus to find good pasture? Some of you are struggling in this. Some of you are not feasting on his green pastures. Although the Christian life doesn't guarantee an absence of suffering, it says to welcome suffering in the Bible on this side of the earth, it does promise strength, power, joy, and hope along the way. Amen? a certain glorious future forever. So dear brothers and sisters and members of New Covenant Baptist Church, how is your peace this afternoon? How is your joy? How is your worship? As a test and indicator of whether you are resting and trusting in Jesus today. Are you happy in Jesus this afternoon? Are you sorrowful yet always rejoicing? Have the worries of this world withered your joy this week? Have the concerns of the culture choked up your worship today? Are the sins of your flesh ravaging your love toward him and toward his church? Brothers and sisters, it is for these reasons, this reminder, I am the door. If anyone enters by me, he will be saved and will go in and out and find pasture. The salvation mentioned in verse nine is not a one-time salvation. Listen to me carefully. The grammar is interesting, but very specific and precise. It's future passive indicative. It's exactly how the gospel saves you and me. You will be saved, future. You are saved, passive. You are being saved, indicative, hallelujah. You notice how the sheep, by the leadership of the shepherd, goes in and out and find pasture? What an encouraging reminder that in this Christian pilgrimage, we are not left alone to fend for ourselves 
that the good shepherd leads us and by grace under shepherds feeds us regularly. That's what I'm hoping I'm doing right now. By God's grace, I prepared a nourishing meal for you to feast on today. So let me ask you, are you feasting? Are you feasting? Let me conclude with this dessert. Verse 10. The thief comes only to kill, still, and destroy. I came, Jesus says, that they may have life and have it abundantly. We talked enough about the first part of the verse. The thief comes to kill, steal, and destroy. That is certain. So let's focus on the second part. I came that they may have life and have it abundantly. Jesus says, I came that you may have life and have it abundantly. This is not prosperity theology, brothers and sisters. This is the Christian sure reality that Jesus came so that you may have life abundant. As Christians, as the sheep of the shepherd, as followers of Jesus, we are not, we are not, we are not meant to live a mediocre life. Normal people of this world have life, but in Christ where life is already given, we as his sheep have life to be enjoyed more abundantly, amen? More abundant life, a more than a regular life, a victorious life. This is the reason why Jesus came. That's what it says, right? So if any of you have forgotten, If any of you are lacking joy and hope and strength, a few encouragements for you to end us, to conclude, some soul food. Here are seven particular joys in which Christians can enjoy the more abundant life according to Charles Spurgeon. Point number one, first two are longer, the last five are shorter. A more abundant life means we can enjoy more stamina. Whereas men of the world easily grow weary in discouragement and in despair, because they are weighed down by sin, and because death looms over them, men and women of the Lord Jesus may enjoy, in a spiritual sense, more stamina. A well-founded, well-furnished, well-established, confirmed, and a vigorous life in order that we may be capable of arduous service and powerful action. That we can walk without weariness, according to Isaiah 40, and run without fainting. Second, a more abundant life means we can enjoy the enlargement of the sphere of our life. Spurgeon says the souls of men live like squirrels in cage, and each day their wheel revolves. It is all the world they know. True, there are men of the world whose life traverses wider areas than those which content the baser sort. Such men map out the stars and fathom the seas. They read the mysteries, uh, mysterious stories of the rocks and con the ages past. They are deep in philosophy and they force their way into secret chambers, but they have life which is bounded only by space and time. But when Jesus came, he enlarged the sphere of the most capacious mind and makes the greatest intellect to feel that it was but cabined, cribbed, and confined until he was set free by Jesus. Jesus leads us, you and me, who are redeemed beyond time and space. What a new world we as Christians live, amen? To live at home with God, to see his smile and feast on his love. This is a life of no measured dimensions. For we dwell in God and are in fellowship with the infinite. We are no longer shut up to ourselves, but we hold the converse with the spirits before the throne and commune with all the saints redeemed by blood. Again, the last five are more brief and quick. As life in Christ becomes more abundant, as our powers, our powers are brought into exercise. What, that, what I mean by that, what Spurgeon means by that is the more you depend on Christ in your spiritual disciplines, in your reading of the scriptures, in your prayer life, as you grow in your prayer life, you experience more power, more joy, more abundant life. Fourth, 
an increased degree of energy. The more trustingly you lean and cling to him, the more energy you experience, the more wellspring of life you will experience. Fifth, hence, fifth, an overflow of enjoyment. And sixth, a delicacy of feeling, the more awareness of God's beauty all around you and surrounding you. And finally, life becomes supreme. Life becomes more glorious and amazing because it is life that is redeemed and precious because you understand the depth of what it means that your life is bought by the blood of Jesus Christ. Dear brothers and sisters, Jesus says, I have come that you may have a more abundant life. Jesus says, I am the door. Jesus says, come through. Come through daily. Come through weekly. Find rest. Find intimacy. Find safety. Find life. Let's pray.